Well, as you can see, we're, we're starting relatively late, so many of us have already had a good deal of time for practice. So I will assume by the time we're gathering here together that you've already done kind of the preliminary practices, whatever you like to do in your daily practice in terms of, in terms of classic Tibetan Buddhist practice, refuge, bodhicitta, perhaps guru yoga, whatever you do to really start the day, to set your motivation, all of that. And so we can discuss this uh, individually and during our individual meetings as you like. But I won't take up our very precious time with doing this because, again, I've been meditating since, what was it, 3.30 this morning? Off and up now at my regular pace, which I really, really enjoy because I'm an early-to-bed, early-to-rise early kind of guy. And so we're going to go right into the practice, and what we'll be focusing on this morning is going to be really foundational for all of the other practices. Very, very useful as a preliminary for all of the practices that we'll be doing here but also throughout the course of the day. You, some of you will know this phrase, season, seasoning the day. Ah, welcome, Kristen. Uh, she's one of, the, one of the locals, together with Andrea. Kristen also doing marvelous work over in the school with social-emotional learning, uh, helping the chil children learn how to become happy and not only productive, right? So, welcome here. She's been to CEBTT and we're all friends. So, um, so, so seasoning the day. In addition to our formal meditative practice, whatever it may be in the morning, half an hour, an hour, whatever, you can, whatever time you can give, uh, to spend 15 seconds here and a minute there and two minutes there, frankly, as frequently as possible throughout the course of the day, and doing this practice we're doing right now, settling body, speech, and mind in the natural state. It really will transform the whole day. You know, I can really guarantee that. An enormous applicability in education. I had dinner with Klaus just a couple of nights ago. And he mentioned that they're doing 15 minutes of meditation at the beginning of the day. This is really good. But I would suggest it might be, and here's a hypothesis. This is really a scientific hypothesis that can be tested. Very good to start with 15 minutes a day. But if the children are there for six, seven, eight hours a day, I don't know exactly how many hours, that's their business. But throughout the course of the day, one minute, one minute at the beginning of each class. That's not a big, that's not gouging out a lot of time from a class. But to have that time just to center, to relax, to, to become still in the mind, body, speech, and mind, setting the body, speech, and mind with these three qualities of relaxation, stillness, and vividness, really, really helpful. And I think they would see the effects on test scores and very practical things. And test scores are the end game, but what are you learning? You know, and are you enjoying the learning? Are you attentive? Are you engaged? Right? So whether it's this educational setting here, whether it's the education given over at this marvelous school, uh, either way, subtly body, speech, and mind in the natural state is something not to be overlooked. And I will say right now, a really central feature of this is learning how to breathe. And that may sound silly if you've never heard me address this before, but the learning how to breathe is not learning how to do something, it's learning how to undo something. Learning how to allow the breathing to flow without restraint, without constriction, without force, really to let the, the breathing, the respiration flow as naturally as a healthy, healthy digestive tract or function as naturally as a healthy liver, lungs, and so forth and so on. In other words, don't mess with it. It, it, it works best if it's working all of its own accord without being cramped, constrained, forced, tightened up by our mindset, by our emotions, by thoughts, and so forth. So without further ado, let's go right into it. All of our sessions will be 24 minutes. Uh, and now I just want to give this general invitation that will stand for the whole eight weeks. At any time, we have pl plenty of floor space here.
So at any time, if you'd like to go into the supine position, uh, just lay out your yoga mats. You'll want a cushion under your head. Uh, so for any session at any time, and I would really strongly encourage you throughout the course of the day as you set up your daily schedule, and I'm happy to help you with that so as I can be of assistance, uh, be alternating between sitting and supine, sitting and supine. And also, let's not overlook the other two postures that the Buddha taught, and that is meditative walking, very mindful walking, very mindful standing, all of these, so that you really have a sense that your practice is now saturating your whole life. And really, frankly, having meditated many different uh, retreat centers and so forth and so on, I think I can tell you it'll be very difficult to find a more conducive environment than this. And so let us have all of our activities here, whether it's reading, whether it's whatever it may be, yoga, tai chi, anything else, all of this oriented towards supporting us in the practice and not simply something else that we're doing because we're tired of meditating. Let everything be conducive to and supportive of your meditation. Very good. Welcome. Okay. So please find a comfortable position, either supine or sitting. For shamatha, supine and sitting are the two, two best postures. Uh, for vipassana, and it really struck me, I think during the second month, we'll start definitely encroaching into vipassana territory as we return to the four shamatha practices, but each one can be a basis for insight practice or vipassana. So that just struck me last night. Rather than simply doing exactly the same meditations for a second cycle in the, in the second four weeks, um, I think we'll encroach into vipassana territory. Probably a good idea. Okay? So, comfortable position, please. Overall, sitting is very good, but it's not very good if you're uncomfortable. So this will be a 24-minute session as usual, and we'll talk about more daily uh, talk more about daily schedules later on. I would invite you to enter into this session and into all the other sessions to follow in a spirit of loving-kindness, loving-kindness being an aspiration that we may find happiness, especially genuine happiness, by cultivating causes of such well-being. So as an act of kindness for yourself, wishing yourself well, happily enter into this practice and begin by letting your awareness descend into the body. If you have a sense of being located up in your head, let your awareness descend right down to the ground where your body is in contact with the cushion, the yoga mat. Let your mind be quiet, non-discursive, non-conceptual, in a purely witnessing mode, attending to the tactile sensation of the contact of your body with the ground.
Then like a fragrance filling a room, let your awareness fill the whole space of your body right up to the top of the head. As you are mindfully present throughout the whole space of your body and attending to the tactile sensations arising within this somatic field. We begin by settling the body in its natural state, which is one of dynamic equilibrium. It's not simply being deeply relaxed. It's a matter of balance. Do indeed set your body at ease in a posture of relaxation, of comfort. And for the brief duration of this session, Let your body be as still as possible, with no unnecessary fidgeting, moving, scratching, just the natural movement of the breath. And if you're sitting upright, let your spine be straight, Your eyes may be closed, open, or hooded, as you wish. You may be looking straight ahead, or you may just slightly incline your head, as you wish. Most importantly, let your spine be straight and sit in a posture of attention. That is, let your physical posture be one of vigilance. And even in the supine position, Psychologically adopt a stance of vigilance. Use the supine position only for meditation, including the conclusion of a set of yoga asanas. But I strongly encourage you, don't use that posture, the shavasana, or corpse posture, for anything other than your dharma practice. So by association, whenever you slip into that posture, you know, oh, this is for the sake of practice. Face is a veritable magnet for tension, for tightness. So now give special attention to the muscles of the face. Soften, loosen up the muscles around the mouth, the jaws, the temples and the forehead.
Let there be a feeling of spaciousness, of openness in the forehead and between the eyebrows, just the opposite of contraction. Let all the muscles around your eyes be soft and relaxed. Likewise, let your gaze be unfocused and your eyes soft, relaxed. Release the, the thoughts with every outbreath and allow them to dissolve back into the space of the mind. Finally, we set the, settle the mind in its natural state. Once again, a state of dynamic equilibrium. And we begin with a deliberate act of will. And the will is to allow ourselves, to give ourselves permission for the short duration of this session to release all concerns about the future and the past. Set the mind at ease and allow your awareness to come to rest in stillness in the present moment. Awareness is by nature luminous, not to say that it is bright or has a bright color, but rather awareness illuminates all appearances, sensory and mental, illuminates all dreams. So let the natural luminosity with special attention given to the sensations of the respiration throughout the entire field of the body.
maintain a flow of non-conceptual knowing. And the task here is very simple. As the breath flows in, when a long in-breath occurs, simply note that it is long. When a long out-breath occurs, note that it is long. And when a short in-breath occurs, note that it is short. When a short out-breath occurs, note that it is short. In this practice, we seek to cultivate a sense of contentment, a sense of satisfaction of simply being in the present, relaxed, still, and alert. Enjoying simply being present. But out of sheer habit, again and again, the mind is bound to be carried away by rumination, wandering thoughts. No need to be frustrated. 
sheer, the sheer power of habit. But every time you see that you have become distracted, most likely lost in thought, as soon as you recognize it, do so with a smile, as if you've lost your dog and you just found it. You don't punish the dog for straying away. You're glad the dog is back. So every time you recognize retrospectively that your attention has strayed, you've been caught up in rumination, be happy to have recognized it and let your first response be to relax. Your second response Release whatever captivated your attention. And your third response, return to the present moment and mindfully attend to the sensations associated with the respiration as they manifest throughout the entire body. Relax, release, and return. Again and again, be very patient. And gradually the mind this obsessive, compulsive mind will gradually subside and find its own dynamic balance, equilibrium in the present moment. So I like to think of this mind center as being a, a mental rehabilitation center. Because quite literally, I think, not an exaggeration or simply hyperbole, um, we are prone to addiction, in the technical sense of the term. Addiction to stimulation. 
something coming in that's aroused of the interest, that catches our attention, that keeps us up and moving and agitated and restless. So whether it's texting, whether it's internet, whether it's phoning, whether it's work, whether it's conversation, whether it's entertainment. But I see this, I sit a lot in, in, in airplanes, and very few people, I think, if they're not sleeping, they are stimulating their mind with something. Um, person next to me, flying on one of the flights, it was poker. Another one, it's another, another video game. Another one, it's reading. Another one, it's work and so forth. But it's something of a lost skill in our modern world with all of its multitasking, this bombardment of stimuli, to be able to simply be quiet and very present, clear, not getting dopey, not losing the clarity of attention, but simply being present you know, for more than three seconds at a time to actually sustain that and to gradually, through experience, open up another whole wellspring of happiness, well-being, of flourishing that is not stimulus-driven. So this really lies at the core of Dharma, and I'm speaking now generically, not just Buddhist Dharma, Christian Dharma, Hindu Dharma, but now Dharma generically, that I will define Dharma, as I've learned this definition years ago from one of my Tibetan lamas, uh, that Dharma really is the cultivation of a durable, genuine state of well-being. That's simple. A durable and genuine sense of well-being. That, and then if we give a little bit of commentary, that's not dependent for its arousal and for its continuation upon pleasant stimuli. This is not putting down hedonic well-being. We all enjoy good health. We all enjoy a good meal. We enjoy a good companionship, um, meaningful and, and loving relationships and a good night's sleep, and so and so forth. Nothing wrong with any of that. But insofar as our well-being is contingent upon things going well for us, upon pleasant stimuli coming in, we are, in a manner of speaking, addicted to that. We're kind of held hostage by that. And the real downside of that is that we're held hostage by conditions that are fundamentally out of our control, beyond our control. Right? We control it. The older I get, it, I just become more vividly aware of how little I'm in control of in the universe at large. And many things I don't want to control, like my spouse's behavior or my grandson's behavior, a little bit of grand, grandfathering once in a while, but overall I want him just to you know, grow up and be happy. But in a world where we're surrounded by circumstances, even our own physical health, which obviously we do everything we can to maintain good health, and in the final analysis, even when we do that, there's no guarantee we'll have good health. Right? That, too, finally is beyond our control. So the addiction to seeking out and trying to sustain pleasurable stimuli coming in and keep it coming, keep it coming, keep it coming, is a, oh, a very tiresome ordeal. It's a kind of addiction. And when we have no stimulation coming from outside, as you may have discovered in the last 24 minutes, when there's nothing happening that's interesting from outside, then what do we do? We manufacture our own stimulation, obsessively and compulsively, with this flow of rumination, you know? And it just flows on and on and on, and it's sheer habit. It's sheer habit. And so we're seeking to calm the obsessive flow of stimulation, of rumination from within, to release, to release, to unwind, to relax, but without losing the clarity. So that's kind of the final point for this morning. In this first phase of mindfulness of breathing, with a strong emphasis on settling body, speech, and mind in the natural state, we already begin with balance. And this is good to memorize this, okay? Some of you, I'm sure, already have. But in this initial phase, um, we're doing two things. 
We're seeking to unwind, to unravel, to loosen up, to get more and more relaxed, at ease in the body, allowing the breath to flow unimpededly, at ease, comfortably flowing in and out effortlessly, and setting the mind at ease, relaxed, calm, still. So on the one hand, that, that cultivation of ease, relaxation, looseness, comfort, on the one hand. On the other hand, when we do that, and we do that regularly, every 24 hours, at least once, called falling asleep, right? Getting more and more relaxed, unwinding, the mind's calming down, and then before you know it, lights out, and we've gone unconscious, and we slip into dreamless sleep. Nothing wrong with that. I like a good night's sleep as much as anybody. But of course, that doesn't move us along a path to greater genuine happiness, awakening, liberation. It just gives us a good night's sleep, so we're ready to wear ourselves out the next day again. And so there's one side of the equation, one side of the balance is the whole point of this practice is, on the one hand, to really learn how, through practice, to, to relax, all of that. But now where's the balance? And the balance is to relax more and more deeply without losing the clarity with which you began. All right? It's very easy to be an eager beaver here. Said, I want to concentrate. I want to maintain my stability. And my hand always does this. Look out for my hand coming into a fist, because that always entails, suggests grasping. Ego grasping, drive, expectation, hope, fear, desire, craving, clinging, and so forth. It always happens. So I just watch, oh yeah, you're talking about craving, aren't you? you know? And so, on the one hand, we're relaxing. At the same time, don't be too, how do you say, ambitious. Don't be ambitious at all in this, in this first phase. Don't try to achieve something you haven't achieved yet. That will come in due course. There will be a time for discipline. Greater stability, that would be great. Greater vividness, excellent. But in this first phase, what you're really seeking to achieve is a deeper sense of relaxation. And you're balancing that with, and that is don't lose the clarity that you have right now. Because I'm looking around, I don't see anybody nodding off, getting dull, spacing out. So just that quality of clarity, of vividness, of alertness with which you began the session, see if you can sustain that. And if you can say sustain that quality of clarity while at the same time getting deeper and deeper and deeper, in a state of relaxation, ease, and comfort. That's a very powerful balance. It's really good for getting an education. It's good for meditation. It's good for art. It's good for creativity. It's good for problem solving. Because normally when we're alert, we start focusing, we start to contract. Scientific fact. Experiential fact. And so we're laying a, a kind of, how do you say, lay, laying the foundation here for really learning how to relax more and more deeply without losing clarity. And what we're looking for over, over time, over, over the coming weeks, I'll give away the plot. And that is a synergy of these three qualities. And these you'll definitely want to memorize if you've not done so already. Relaxation, stability, and vividness, or vigilance. And when the practice is really kind of going into a mode of flow, you're really getting accustomed to it, very familiar with it, it's really working, right? Then you'll find that the deeper you go into meditation, the more and more relaxed you're becoming. Very cool. Until you come, if you're following the whole path of shamatha, by the time you get to the ninth out of nine stages, immediately preceding the actual achievement of shamatha, it's effortless. Now that's got to be really relaxed. If you can go into a session and remain with impeccable clarity, with superb stability, and it's effortless, that suggests you are deeply, deeply relaxed. But in this paradoxical kind of fashion, or anomalous anyway, because you are extremely clear, extremely stable, and yet, that's not sustained by 
compressing, contracting, striving, grasping like that, but by a very deep letting go. So the synergy here is going to, as we'll see over time, is a deepening sense of relaxation. Out of relaxation comes greater and greater stability, stillness. And out of greater stillness comes greater vividness. But as the mind becomes more vivid, more alert, high definition, acute, sharp, clear, focused, everything gets more interesting. That's just a universal statement. Everything gets more interesting the clearer the mind is. By even moving a finger up and down, if you're really, really clear, that's like, whoa, this is a full-time job. Don't bother me. <laughs> whoa. You know? I kid you not. Actually, I'm not exaggerating at all. It's not that that's interesting. It's the clarity makes it interesting, right? And so it just stands to reason. You could, you could figure this out even without having experienced it, that if you're really clear, vivid, sharp, very attentive, then naturally you're not going to be distracted. If you're listening to a fascinating conversation or your favorite music or looking at some magnificent, let's say, documentary film, and it's riveting, maybe the beauty of the images and so forth, it just captures your attention. It's very easy not to be distracted because you're so attentive, you're so interested, right? So now we see this feedback loop. It's not only relaxation gives rise to stability and stability gives rise to vividness, but vividness turns around and accentuates the stability. And the calmer you are, the quieter, the more focused, the more stable your mind is, that's relaxing. And so that filters right back to a deeper sense of relaxation. But then relaxation turns around and returns the favor. And the mind becomes more stable, and that enables it to become clear. And then clear becomes more stable and more relaxed. That's called the wheel of shamatha, okay? rather than the wheel of samsara. Because it all is then becomes synergistic. It's a really winning combination. And I think you would find, if you've not already discovered this, that that, that that triad, that synergistic triad of relaxation, stability, and vividness, it's good for everything. It's really good for everything. For watching a movie, for, for balancing your checkbook, for having a conversation, for creative work, analytical work, for remembering something, for imagining something, for lucid dreaming, the whole bandwidth of meaningful activity. Those three qualities integrated and are synergistically sustained a real winning combination. And that is the core of shamatha. It makes the body-mind hyphenated, the body-mind serviceable for everything else we may wish to do. Okay? So, ready to begin? So today, now I won't see you in, uh, collectively until 4.30. What I would suggest you do now, very gently, but no time to lose, start setting up a daily schedule for yourself. Uh, you will decide among yourselves whether you want to have a session from 10 to 11. Again, it's entirely volunta voluntary. Likewise, a session from 2 to 3. But most importantly, that you're beginning to set up your own, your own daily schedule. And I would suggest at the beginning, 24-minute sessions. But if you find 24 minutes kind of drags on, and you're kind of wondering, when's it going to stop? When's it going to stop? Make it shorter. Make it shorter. Cut it back to 50, 20 minutes. 15. So you want to feel, subjectively, that the duration of your sessions is short. That you could have done a bit more. Okay? That's the good way to end. Just like eating. Stop before you're totally stuffed. When you could eat a bit more, that's a good time to stop, right? So when you could meditate a bit more and gladly do so, stop then. Don't squeeze it dry. Say, oh, 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 thank goodness it's over, you know? And so short sessions, if 24 minutes feel short, then that's fine. And then you can consider, since we have a lot of time here, uh, is do 24 minutes, maybe take a short break, a little bit of stretching, moving around. You might switch postures from supine to sitting, sitting to supine, and then go right into a second session. And then maybe take a little bit longer break, 
but you know, experiment. Uh, whether it's single sessions or back-to-back -back sessions with a little break in between. Overall, I'd really like you not to be experiencing any really significant discomfort in the body, but let the body be relaxed and comfortable, and that's, again, where the uh, alternating postures can be very helpful. Okay, so we'll often run on a little bit, maybe five minutes, ten minutes, sometimes a bit longer in the morning, since nothing's pressing. Um, so I think that that's our brief introduction, and I look forward to seeing six of you today. The rest of you, please do sign up. Uh, for your slot on our Monday through Saturday. Sundays, of course, we have no interviews and no, how do you say, no uh, collective gatherings. It's a time for you to have your own solitary retreat entirely your own schedule. And that can be quite sweet. So doing that repeatedly, have seven or eight times to do that, then you're very well prepared when you leave here. You already know what it's like to do a one-day retreat entirely on your own with your own schedule and maintaining your own discipline. That's good to know. You'll know it from your own experience. So enjoy your day. I'll see you at 4.30, and I'll see some of you much sooner.